Part two, section five of Swan's Way by Marcel Proust, translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief, eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, Combray, section five. And so, on the pretext that some lesson, the hour of which had been altered now came at such an awkward time that it had already more than once prevented me and would continue to prevent me from seeing my uncle one day not one of the days which he set apart for our visits i took advantage of the fact that my parents had had luncheon earlier than usual i slipped out and instead of going to read the playbills on their column for which purpose i was allowed to go out unaccompanied i ran all the way to his house i noticed before his door a carriage and pair with red carnations on the horse's blinkers and in the coachman's buttonhole as i climbed the staircase i could hear laughter and a woman's voice and as soon as i had rung silence and the sound of shutting doors the manservant who let me in appeared embarrassed and said that my uncle was extremely busy and probably could not see me he went in however to announce my arrival and the same voice i had heard before said oh yes do let him come in just for a moment it will be so amusing is that his photograph there on your desk and his mother your niece isn't she beside it the image of her isn't he i should so like to see the little chap just for a second i could hear my uncle grumbling and growing angry finally the manservant told me to come in on the table was the same plate of marchpanes that was always there my uncle wore the same alpaca coat as on other days but opposite to him in a pink silk dress with a great necklace of pearls about her throat sat a young woman who was just finishing a tangerine my uncertainty whether i ought to address her as madame or mademoiselle made me blush and not daring to look too much in her direction in case i should be obliged to speak to her i hurried across to kiss my uncle she looked at me and smiled my uncle said my nephew without telling her my name or telling me hers doubtless because since his difficulties with my grandfather he had endeavoured as far as possible to avoid any association of his family with this other class of acquaintance how like his mother he is said the lady but you have never seen my niece except in photographs my uncle broke in quickly with a note of anger i beg your pardon dear friend i passed her on the staircase last year when you were so ill it is true i only saw her for a moment and your staircase is rather dark but i saw well enough to see how lovely she was this young gentleman has her beautiful eyes and also this she went on tracing a line with one finger across the lower part of her forehead tell me she asked my uncle is your niece madame blank is her name the same as yours he takes most after his father muttered my uncle who was no more anxious to effect an introduction by proxy in repeating mamma's name aloud than to bring the two together in the flesh he's his father all over and also like my poor mother i have not met his father dear said the lady in pink bowing her head slightly and i never saw your poor mother you will remember it was just after your great sorrow that we got to know one another i felt somewhat disillusioned for this young lady was in no way different from other pretty women whom i had seen from time to time at home especially the daughter of one of our cousins to whose house i went every new year's day only better dressed otherwise my uncle's friend had the same quick and kindly glance the same frank and friendly manner 
i could find no trace in her of the theatrical appearance which i admired in photographs of actresses nothing of the diabolical expression which would have been in keeping with the life she must lead i had difficulty in believing that this was one of those women and certainly i should never have believed her one of the smart ones had i not seen the carriage and pair the pink dress the pearly necklace had i not been aware too that my uncle knew only the very best of them but i asked myself how the millionaire who gave her her carriage and her flat and her jewels could find any pleasure in flinging his money away upon a woman who had so simple and respectable an appearance and yet when i thought of what her life must be like its immorality disturbed me more perhaps than if it had stood before me in some concrete and recognizable form by its secrecy and invisibility like the plot of a novel the hidden truth of a scandal which had driven out of the home of her middle-class parents and dedicated to the service of all mankind which had brought to the flowering point of her beauty had raised to fame or notoriety this woman the play of whose features the intonations of whose voice like so many others i already knew made me regard her in spite of myself as a young lady of good family her who was no longer of a family at all we had gone by this time into the study and my uncle who seemed a trifle embarrassed by my presence offered her a cigarette no thank you dear friend she said you know i only smoke the ones the grand duke sends me i tell him that they make you jealous and she drew from a case cigarettes covered with inscriptions in gold in a foreign language why yes she began again suddenly of course i have met this young man's father with you isn't he your nephew how on earth could i have forgotten he was so nice so charming to me she went on modestly and with feeling but when i thought to myself what must actually have been the rude greeting which she made out had been so charming i who knew my father's coldness and reserve was shocked as though at some indelicacy on his part at the contrast between the excessive recognition bestowed on it and his never adequate geniality it has since struck me as one of the most touching aspects of the part played in life by these idle painstaking women that they devote all their generosity all their talent their transferable dreams of sentimental beauty for like all artists they never seek to realize the value of those dreams or to enclose them in the four-square frame of everyday life and their gold which counts for little to the fashioning of a fine and precious setting for the rubbed and scratched and ill-polished lives of men and just as this one filled the smoking-room where my uncle was entertaining her in his alpaca coat with her charming person her dress of pink silk her pearls and the refinement suggested by intimacy with the grand duke so in the same way she had taken some casual remark by my father had worked it up delicately given it a turn a precious title set in it the gem of a glance from her own eyes a gem of the first water blended of humility and gratitude and so had given it back transformed into a jewel a work of art into something altogether charming look here my boy it is time you went away said my uncle i rose i could scarcely resist a desire to kiss the hand of the lady in pink but i felt that to do so would require as much audacity as a forcible abduction of her my heart beat loud while i counted out to myself shall i do it shall i not and then i ceased to ask myself what i ought to do so as at least to do something blindly hotly madly flinging aside all the reasons i had just found to support such action i seized and raised to my lips the hand she held out to me isn't he delicious quite a ladies man already he takes after his uncle 
he'll be a perfect gentleman she went on setting her teeth so as to give the word a kind of english accentuation couldn't he come to me some day for a cup of tea as our friends across the channel say he need only send me a blue in the morning i had not the least idea of what a blue might be i did not understand half the words which the lady used but my fear lest there should be concealed in them some question which it would be impolite in me not to answer kept me from withdrawing my close attention from them and i was beginning to feel extremely tired no no it is impossible said my uncle shrugging his shoulders he has kept busy at home all day he has plenty of work to do he brings back all the prizes from his school he added in a lower tone so that i should not hear this falsehood and interrupt it with a contradiction you can't tell he may turn out a little victor hugo a kind of volobel don't you know oh i love artistic people replied the lady in pink there is no one like them for understanding women them and really nice men like yourself but please forgive my ignorance who what is volobel is it those gilt books in the little glass case in your drawing-room you know you promised to lend them to me i will take great care of them my uncle who hated lending people books said nothing and ushered me out into the hall madly in love with the lady in pink i covered my old uncle's tobacco-stained cheeks with passionate kisses and while he awkwardly enough gave me to understand without actually saying that he would rather i did not tell my parents about this visit i assured him with tears in my eyes that his kindness had made so strong an impression upon me that some day i would most certainly find a way of expressing my gratitude so strong an impression had it made upon me that two hours later after a string of mysterious utterances which did not strike me as giving my parents a sufficiently clear idea of the new importance with which i had been invested i found it simpler to let them have a full account omitting no detail of the visit i had paid that afternoon in doing this i had no thought of causing my uncle any unpleasantness how could i have thought such a thing since i did not wish it and i could not suppose that my parents would see any harm in a visit in which i myself saw none every day of our lives does not some friend or other ask us to make his apologies without fail to some woman to whom he has been prevented from writing and do not we forget to do so feeling that this woman cannot attach much importance to a silence which has none for ourselves i imagined like every one else that the brains of other people were lifeless and submissive receptacles with no power of specific reaction to any stimulus which might be applied to them and i had not the least doubt that when i deposited in the minds of my parents the news of the acquaintance i had made at my uncle's i should at the same time transmit to them the kindly judgment i myself had based on the introduction unfortunately my parents had recourse to principles entirely different from those which i suggested they should adopt when they came to form their estimate of my uncle's conduct my father and grandfather had words with him of a violent order as i learned indirectly a few days later passing my uncle in the street as he drove by in an open carriage i felt at once all the grief the gratitude the remorse which i should have liked to convey to him beside the immensity of these emotions i considered that merely to raise my hat to him would be incongruous and petty and might make him think that i regarded myself as bound to show him no more than the commonest form of courtesy i decided to abstain from so inadequate a gesture and turn my head away my uncle thought that in doing so i was obeying my parents orders he never forgave them and though he did not die until many years later not one of us ever set eyes on him again 
and so i no longer used to go into the little sitting-room now kept shut of my uncle adolphe instead after hanging about on the outskirts of the back kitchen until Françoise appeared on its threshold and announced i am going to let the kitchen-maid serve the coffee and take up the hot water it is time i went off to madame octave i would then decide to go indoors and would go straight upstairs to my room to read the kitchen-maid was an abstract personality a permanent institution to which an invariable set of attributes assured a sort of fixity and continuity and identity throughout the long series of transitory human shapes in which that personality was incarnate for we never found the same girl there two years running in the year in which we ate such quantities of asparagus the kitchen-maid whose duty it was to dress them was a poor sickly creature some way gone in pregnancy when we arrived at combray for easter and it was indeed surprising that Françoise allowed her to run so many errands in the town and to do so much work in the house for she was beginning to find a difficulty in bearing before her the mysterious casket fuller and larger every day whose splendid outline could be detected through the folds of her ample smocks these last recalled the cloaks in which giotto shrouds some of the allegorical figures in his paintings of which m swann had given me photographs he it was who pointed out the resemblance and when he inquired after the kitchen-maid he would say well how goes it with giotto's charity and indeed the poor girl whose pregnancy had swelled and stoutened every part of her even to her face and the vertical squared outlines of her cheeks did distinctly suggest those virgins so strong and mannish as to seem matrons rather in whom the virtues are personified in the arena chapel and i can see now that those virtues and vices of padua resembled her in another respect as well for just as the figure of this girl had been enlarged by the additional symbol which she carried in her body without appearing to understand what it meant without any rendering in her facial expression of all its beauty and spiritual significance but carried as if it were an ordinary and rather heavy burden so it is without any apparent suspicion of what she is about that the powerfully built housewife who is portrayed in the arena beneath the label caritas and a reproduction of whose portrait hung upon the wall of my schoolroom at combray incarnates that virtue for it seems impossible that any thought of charity can ever have found expression in her vulgar and energetic face by a fine stroke of the painter's invention she is tumbling all the treasures of the earth at her feet but exactly as if she were treading grapes in a wine-press to extract their juice or still more as if she had climbed on a heap of sacks to raise herself higher and she is holding out her flaming heart to god or shall we say handing it to him exactly as a cook might hand up a corkscrew through the skylight of her underground kitchen to someone who had called down to ask her for it from the ground level above the invidia again should have had some look on her face of envy but in this fresco too a symbol occupies so large a place and is represented with such realism the serpent hissing between the lips of envy is so huge and so completely fills her wide open mouth that the muscles of her face are strained and contorted like a child's who is filling a balloon with his breath and that envy and we ourselves for that matter when we look at her since all her attention and ours are concentrated on the action of her lips have no time almost to spare for envious thoughts despite all the admiration that m swann might profess for these figures of giotto it was a long time before i could find any pleasure in seeing in our schoolroom where the copies he had brought me were hung 
that charity devoid of charity that envy who looked like nothing so much as a plate in some medical book illustrating the compression of the glottis or uvula by a tumour in the tongue or by the introduction of the operator's instrument a justice whose greyish and meanly regular features were the very same as those which adorned the faces of certain good and pious and slightly withered ladies of combrai whom i used to see at mass many of whom had long been enrolled in the reserve forces of injustice but in later years i understood that the arresting strangeness the special beauty of these frescoes lay in the great part played in each of them by its symbols while the fact that these were depicted not as symbols for the thought symbolized was nowhere expressed but as real things actually felt or materially handled added something more precise and more literal to their meaning something more concrete and more striking to the lesson they imparted and even in the case of the poor kitchen-maid was not our attention incessantly drawn to her belly by the load which filled it and in the same way again are not the thoughts of men and women in the agony of death often turned towards the practical painful obscure internal intestinal aspect towards that seamy side of death which is as it happens the side that death actually presents to them and forces them to feel a side which far more closely resembles a crushing burden a difficulty in breathing a destroying thirst than the abstract idea to which we are accustomed to give the name of death end of part two section five recording by expatriate in bangor maine